Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read sections from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and so, and it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And now Genesis 2, 1 through 25. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then skipping down to chapter 3, verse 14, following the fall. These are the curses that God sends upon the serpent, the man, and the woman. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look into your word that you would illumine our minds, that we would understand it, and that we would not be those who, who look into it and learn about ourselves and then quickly forget who we are. But, Father, that we would, that your word would be a mirror to us. Father, that we would learn what is good and right and true. And that we would live accordingly as, as a, a fragrant aroma, as an offering of faith and obedience to you, our Father. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. All right. From time to time, we just need to brush up on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Okay? And so we're here right from the beginning of Scripture. And we need to brush up on male and female. He created them. This is not something that is unknown to the pulpit of Trinity Presbyterian Church. You've heard me speak on this before, but I, I want us to return to it just to, um, so that we can examine ourselves, whether we're glorifying God as we reflect our masculinity and femininity. 
Okay, and so that's what we'll, we'll do tonight. We're, we're going back to a fundamental and brushing up. The question I'd like us to think about tonight is this. Does God have a purpose? I mean, it's already a stupid question, right? Does God have a purpose in making mankind in two types, male and female? Does God have a purpose in making mankind in two types, male and female? And if he does, what is that purpose? Why did he do this? Why was this the crowning work of his creation? Genesis 1.27 makes it very clear, right, that God, God's making us male and female was intentional. God did not create a sexless spirit, but he made us male and female. He made us male and female. He could have created us like the angels, I suppose, who, do, who are not, uh, not of two types like us. Right? But he didn't create a sexless spirit. He created male and female. One of the age-old rebellions against God is to deny the structural, creational, fundamental importance of the two sexes. The, the, mankind from the start, right? I didn't read that section, but mankind from the start rebelled against God's creation order there. We don't need to look far for this kind of rebellion in our society, and frankly, in our churches, do we? This rebellion against male and female, the rebellion against masculinity and femininity, the rebellion that attempts to deny God's creation order by androgenizing, if that's a word, everything. Neutering, gender neutering everything, okay? Um, Think about our society. Androgyny has been cool for a long time, right? Androgyny. Think of David Bowie. Think of other rock icons, right? Androgyny has always sold in the music scene. And uh, think, of, think of the social experiment going on in the United States military forces, right? The uh, women in the military, women have progressively been pushed further and further and further toward the front lines, ignoring structural difference between male and female, right? Ignoring the fact that there are major differences. When you are wounded and need to be pulled out of combat, you're hoping there's a big burly dude there who can carry your 260 pounds on his shoulder, right? But that is ignored. That, there is now an androgynous, gender-neutral approach to combat, even combat. So women are now on submarines. Women are on naval, all the naval ships. Women are on the front lines. Women are in the Marines. And... That is, an intentional, that is an intentional rebellion against God's creation order. Homosexuality. Think of the place of homosexuality in our culture. It is honored. It is protected. It is the 
ultimate victim status, and you would think that they're, well, it's protected, right? And, and many now are making an attempt not only to, I think homosexuality has been normalized, but they're making an attempt to normalize pederasty, right? We see that, we see that in our culture. Think about the whole movement of transgenderism, right? It, it's um, gender dysphoria, the um, psychological category that's been created to, uh, uh, for people to have uh, some understanding of what's going on. Transgenderism at its fundamental is probably the most preeminent example of somebody who is not willing to obey their fundamental makeup, which God made them, which is male and female, right? And so a transgender says, well, God may have made me male, but I'm actually female, and vice versa, right? So transgenderism, to me, is, I mean, if homosexuality is full-blown rebellion against God, transgenderism is like even past full-blown rebellion, right? That is to deny what God has fundamentally, fundamentally made you. What does the Apostle Paul say about it? He says in Romans chapter 1, right, you, you know these verses quite well. Romans chapter 1, 24 to 27, therefore God, so, so they, they uh, Paul describes mankind as exchanging uh, the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals, idols, right? And then he says, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, right? If you're going to worship the body, God's going to hand that body over to its defilement. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen? For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Right? So this is idolatry leads to homosexuality. Idolatry leads to the worship of self. And what's more close to the worship of self than worshiping, than, than coupling with someone even of the same sex? Right? That's the height of narcissistic idolatry. Think of, think of gay marriage. Marriage is now, uh, there's been the attempt to redefine marriage as being something that same-sex couples can engage in. And then gay adoption, right? Huge movement. Christian adoption companies are being shut down right now because they refuse to um, allow for gay adoption. And honestly, this is a concern that... Um, Gay adoption shows that there's no concern for children to have both a father and a mother. They see, they see those distinctions as superfluous. You just need to have a loving couple 
but the fact that there's male and female um, is, is thrown out. Now think of, so that's in our society, all these things. I think all of us could add additional things to the list on throwing off God's good design of male and female. But what about in the church? In the church, in the conservative church, in the reformed church, you have movements like Revoice. And you've heard me talk about Revoice before, but Revoice is, the, is a movement in which those who identify as gay say that they're not going to engage in gay sex, but they're still going to, and so they'll be celibate, but they don't think that their affections, that their effeminacy is a sin against God. Right? So it's the gay celibate Christian movement. It's, it really is an attempt to define effeminacy as God-honoring. Right? It is an attempt, and what is effeminacy? Effeminacy is when a man lives like a woman, right? And the, the converse for a woman is the butch woman. It's the woman who lives as if she were a man. Think about, so you got the revoice movement, and that is making inroads in the most conservative denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention, right? The Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, that, is, that is still um, making inroads. Think about all the gender-neutral Bible translations. You're like, what does that have to do with male and female? Well, if you're embarrassed about God's design in male and female, you start to change language don't you? We always try to nuance our language in order to, to uh, push our agenda. And so there are all kinds of Bible translations that take out the word man and brother and father, removing those, right? Just breaking down these, these distinctions that scripture makes clear. Think about just the general malaise in the church where women predominantly are the more mature leaders of households, right? Um, a general, think about the general disposition in the church to deny uh, that women have been given wombs for a purpose. I know you love it when I say that. But that's what we're getting down to, these brass tacks, right? We are structurally different, and that shows us what God would have for us. And so there's a general disposition in the church to deny women have been giving, given wombs for a purpose, which is a denial of fruitfulness, which was the first command of God. Be fruitful and multiply. And there are many people who deny that marriage is for has a purpose, which is raising a godly seed, right? Many people will concede that marriage is for companionship, that marriage is for pleasure, that marriage is even for protection, but then it's like, nah, godly seed, maybe not. Maybe that's too far to go. And denying the church denying that the, one of the main purposes of marriage is to deny uh, is to um, raise a godly seed what does the church and her people do to ensure that 
They even use chemical abortifacients. Okay? They even use, and I'll just say it, Christians, the Christian church has to repent of this, but the Christian church has been using chemical abortifacients frequently in the past and up until now. Right? And what am I talking about? I'm talking about the pill. Okay? That is an abortifacient. That is something that kills children, right? You may be killing your children if you are on chemical abortifacients, okay? But what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is we need to avoid at all costs that marriage is about raising a godly seed. I'll determine that, but God, you you may not determine that. And then think also about how in the church there's generally a disposition to raise our sons and daughters in a gender-neutral way. We just think that we we raise children, not that we're raising sons and daughters, men and women, males and females. And so we just, you know, if if they're in a a co-ed sport, we don't even think about it, right? Let's, Let's let our sons and our daughters do simulated combat together. We don't even think about it, right? And just generally, we don't, we don't approach our children as if God has given us a girl and God has given us a boy, and that means we will discipline them different ways, we will teach them in different ways, we will show them why and, and teach them why God has made them this way and why that's important, why it's beautiful in both cases, whether you're male or female. And so our culture has infiltrated the church, and we are reaping the chaos of that. This sexuality is is perhaps the issue that will lead to more suffering in the church in the coming decades than any other issue we've had, even than COVID. Sexuality. God's word in all things gives us the antidote to that creep, to that idolatry, to that, that rot, right? God's word gives us the antidote. Male and female, man and two types, is God's purposeful design. And he said what about it? He said it was very good. It was very good. There is nothing as essential to us as our sexuality. There's nothing more essential to our identities as our sexuality. We have it right from conception. Right from conception, you are male or female. It is then declared to us on the very first page of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1. Male and female, he made them. So let's go back before the fall of man and sin entered this world and see what God intended for male and female. What is God's purpose in making mankind in two types, male and female? Does does our text begin to give an answer? Well, yes, it certainly does. So back to Genesis chapter 1. First, there is something about male and female that expresses the image of God. The image of God. In that respect, male and female are both needed to express God's image. 
right? The full image of God does not find its full meaning in the male alone, but in man and woman together. And it boggles the mind, right? That is the full expression of the image of God, male and female together. Second, Fruitfulness is the product of male and female together. Genesis 1.28, God's first command to mankind. Right? 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now what does that mean, be fruitful and multiply? What does that mean? No one will say it. It's so obvious. Thank you. Yes, that's what that means. Right? But I think we need to be so stupid right now. Right? I think we need to just say, okay, that means have children. Because our disposition by our culture is don't have children. Children are a negative. Children will burden you. Children are a drag. And in many respects, they are that. They're hard work but they're glorious. They're glorious. They're children of God. They're created in his image, right? They are sanctifying, but they are also, um, that, that children would be the fruit of a man and a woman's love is glorious, is it not? That there would be a living soul, an eternal soul made based upon the coming together of male and female. It's like, it's like a miracle. Right? So fruitfulness is a product of male and female, God's first command to mankind. And from fruitfulness comes what? Dominion. Dominion. Do you want to see Christ's church grow? Have some babies. Right? That is God's normative way of growing the church. Have babies, take dominion, right? rule over the earth. Third, man, we note, is given a specific task. Genesis 2.15, he is put into the garden to what? To work. Cultivate and keep that garden. He is to... He is to... Um, Work in order to produce, and he is to keep, protect, right? He is to work and protect that garden. And that's Genesis 2.15. That's what it says for the man. The man is put there for the purpose of cultivating and keeping. Fourth, why is the woman made? Why was the woman made? It was not good for the man to be alone. That's why. Right? It was not good. There was Adam given this task of cultivating and keeping, and the animals come before him, and he sees male and female, right? and he's naming them all, but then there's not a corresponding helper to him. And so the woman is made because it's not good for the man to be alone, which is companionship. The man was alone, and he needed the woman. Fifth, woman is made for a specific task. Just like the man was put in the garden to cultivate it and keep it, the woman is made for a specific task. And what is that? Genesis 2.18. To be a helper corresponding to the man. 
Right? That, and, and remember, this is all pre-fall. This is the way God really wanted things to work in perpetuity. Right? So, this, so he, the, man, the woman is made for a specific task, and that's to be a helper corresponding to the man, not a ruler, right? not, a, not a warrior, not a co-captain, not a head, but a helper. That's what the text says. She was made to be a helper. The man, according to Genesis 2.18, is the origin and goal of the woman. Woman is taken out of man and created for him to complete him and to help him. Matthew Henry, you, you all know this quote. It's very sweet. It makes a good point. Matthew Henry on this text said, The woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. All right? Very sweet, but what he's, he's trying to order it according to what he sees here in this text. Six, woman is... A gift to the man. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and then what did he do? No, that's not what happened next. What did God do? He brought her to the man. Right? I mean, it's... You know when you're giving a gift to somebody that, that that excitement before you give them the gift and you get, you know, you're kind of giddy. I, I imagine God is, is um, pleased with this very good gift he's about to give the man. And he brings her to the man and then the man sings that song of, of delight in his wife. The Apostle Paul affirms the fact that the woman is a gift to the man when he states this in 1 Corinthians 11.9. This happy verse that offends none of us who have been steeped in feminism. Here's what it says. Man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Ouch. Right? But there it is in Genesis chapter 2. Right? The woman is made and brought to the man to be a helpmate. Seventh, man has a calling to do what? To leave and go. Genesis 2.24. And so the man has a calling to leave and go, and the woman is called to be joined with her husband and become one flesh with him. Again, that's both a cosmic thing and that's a very practical thing. That is, that is the one flesh union of husband and wife, but also it is fruitfulness. So those are my seven points from Genesis 1 and 2. Now let's look at the curses that come by reason of the disobedience of Adam. Now looking at those curses, we learn more about the question that I answered previously, which is what is God's purpose in making male and female? We see that the specific curses that he gives to male and female correspond to their primary purposes, right? What we see is this, God curses the man right at the point of his calling as a man, and God curses the woman right at the point of her calling as woman. 
These curses tie into their maleness and femaleness as it was defined previously. God doesn't simply deal with them as generic humankind. He deals with them as male and female. So so what do we learn? First, the woman's calling to be fruitful has been affected by Adam's sin. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Right? So the curse corresponds to this this, she was brought to the man so that they might be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? Right there at that point. And all of the women here who have had children will testify to the truth of this verse, right? It is the hardest work that you could possibly do. I have never seen strength from a man or anybody more than the strength I saw in my wife when she delivered our first child. Amazing strength was given to her at that time. Second, the woman's calling to be a helpmate has been affected by Adam's sin. It says, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. He will domineer. He will, he will use his strength in ways that are unbecoming. And so the relationship is affected. Orientation toward her husband is now affected, right? She's supposed to be a helpmate and oriented toward her husband, and her husband's a jerk. Third, also implied is the husband's calling to lead, teach, and guide. Because it says in Genesis 3.17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. He should not have listened to his vo- the voice of his wife. He should have taught her. He should have encouraged her to go in a different direction. He should have led. He should have stood forward and said, no, 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 that's not good fruit. Don't eat that. He could have said even, don't eat that woman. Don't do it. But he did not, right? And she led him into eating the fruit. And so implied in that is the husband's calling to lead, teach, and guide. Fourth, the man's calling to cultivate and keep the garden has been affected by his sin. Genesis 3, 17 to 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all your days, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. And so God curses his work. His calling to cultivate and keep is going to be really difficult, right? Because those thistles and those thorns will come up and destroy the crops that he's planted and the works that he's doing. And men, we, uh, and women, we know that feeling, don't we? Nothing, we, you know, we put our hand to a task, simple thing, we're going to change the oil in our car. It's going to take 15 minutes. You start taking the bolt off, you know, you get the oil out, and, you know, it's not the right color, and you wonder what it is, and then you try to put the, you drain it out, you put the filter on, and you, you mess up the, the threads. And you're like, okay, i got to run down to the store, get another oil filter, you mess it up, and then you mess up the threads when you try to put back the, 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 uh, plug. And so this 15 minute that would have saved you from having to go to Valvoline and do it for $70 
ends up costing you 80 and six hours, right? And so that's thorns and thistles, isn't it? That's thorns and thistles. So, again, male and female mean something, and God has defined them differently, and because of their maleness and femaleness, he has given them appropriate tasks, and the curses that God gives, the discipline that God brings, corresponds to those original tasks. Now, the New Testament gives us some reflection on this creation account. In several places, the Holy Spirit has given us a commentary on the creation account in Genesis. And so we could go to um, Matthew 19. Matthew 19 says this. Jesus is doing battle with the Pharisees, right? And he says, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered, and this answer should, you know, it's profound here. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Here's Jesus then affirming what his father laid out in the beginning. Just in those words, have you not read that from the beginning he made them male and female? Right? There isn't a new androgynous era in the New Testament. As much as people want to take Galatians 3.28 and make, make it into what it is not. Right? There is neither male nor female, you know the verse. Right? But that applies to justification. Right? There, there's nothing that keeps us from justification. And so, but, but here, Jesus is affirming... Male and female. Jesus was not for androgyny or sexlessness or an, an overturning of some sort of Old Testament ethic. He affirms all that is in Genesis by saying, from the beginning, he made them male and female. In other words, sexuality is God's most original purpose in his creation. And Jesus affirms that. Of course, he never went against his father. He was always affirming his father. And here we read of it. Second, the Apostle Paul affirms that what God has created is good. There is no backtracking. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. So Paul, the Apostle, gives a great big yes to the way that God made things. Third, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15 Right, First Timothy two. Let's go there. First Timothy two. Nine through fifteen says, Likewise I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing there? The Apostle Paul is going back to Genesis chapter 2, and he's saying, 
here's a lesson for you. It matters that Adam was made first and then Eve. That matters significantly. It matters also that it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through, and it's mind-boggling, right? But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. There's a lot of argument about that verse. I'm not going to go into the arguments, but isn't it interesting that childbirth comes up in the chapter where the Apostle Paul is going back to Genesis 1, 2, 3. Okay, and so in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, there's an affirmation that male and female were created distinct identities and that the order of creation, Adam first, then Eve, has implications and one of, those, it's one of those explicit commands now of Scripture is that a woman should not exercise authority over a man or teach a man, but remain quiet. Now that could be a series of sermons to flesh that out. I understand that, but accept the fundamental premise. Fourth, 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 8, affirms that woman was created to be a helpmate to the man. Right? We get it there that the woman was created for the man, not the man for the woman. Right? And that's the affirmation in the New Testament of the Old Testament, Genesis 1, 2, 3, concept of the helpmate. So there's not an overturning of these things. Right? And why isn't there an overturning? Because these are creation ordinances. These were set up for all time. These are prior to the fall ordinances that God set up. In fact, if we said there was a different order than the creation order, then we would have to say that God was lying when he said that this was very good. But God doesn't lie. Right? It was very good, the order that he created, and the stipulations that he set down for male and female. Now, in the end, let me wrap this up. What is my point? My point is that God has a purpose in making you a man or in making you a woman. Don't let the culture destroy that purpose in you. God has made you male and God or God has made you female. Right? This purpose has been Lost, perverted, shoved aside, denied, um, even though sexuality is so significantly on display at the creation of the world and in the time period when Adam and Eve lived in that perfect garden with God. Right? Will we learn from it or adopt our culture's androgynous approach to sexuality and to all the implications of sexuality like leadership and authority and child-rearing, and sex. And so let us be men and women of the word first and subordinate ourselves to God's will because he made male and female and said that it was very good. So men and women, are you obeying God's built-in design for you? You know, he's, he's programmed you a certain way and he's programmed you by giving you the XX or the XY chromosome. Right? Are you obeying God's built-in design for you, or are you rebelling against it? The culture is going to try to get you to rebel against this constantly. This will be 
every commercial you watch. This will be every halftime show at, at the Super Bowl. This will be every magazine rack as you go through. This will be a constant assault on you, this androgyny, this male and female, this, this you know, toxic masculinity, this hatred of, of father rule, all of this. Go to the university and they will just begin trying to demolish your sexuality. They will begin trying to demolish what God has made you. And so are you obeying God or are you rebelling against it? Do you wish you were a man, girls and women? And wishing you were a man doesn't just mean physically that you wish you had strength and, and were fancy on the outside, to quote Mr. Rogers, right? It means, do you want in every situation you are to dominate and to lead, right? It means when, when there is controversy that as a woman, you always speak up. And you're not willing to, to be quiet, right? There are ways that we can work against our sexuality and, and want to be the man rather than the woman in ways other than physical ways, right? Or do you, um, and so, so girls, do you wish you were men? Men, do you wish you were women? Or do you just want the tasks that correspond with masculinity or the tasks that correspond with femininity? Um, do you want to shun responsibility and leadership so you can sit in your soft chair of effeminacy, men? God has made you a man. He's called you to cultivate and keep. He's called you to rule and lead. And would you rather just sit in your soft chair, just sit back and play the woman, be effeminate, right? even in your mannerisms, but certainly in your actions? Has feminism ruined you? Ruined your view of femininity and masculinity. Feminism has wrecked, wrecked our views of male and female. It's so wrecked our views of male and female that every time I preach on male and female, I feel like I have to fight you and run uphill the whole way and then just come out of the pulpit exhausted. Right? But I know, I know many of you are with me because you fear God and you love his commandments. But has feminism ruined your view of femininity and masculinity? And if you don't think it has, then you're deluded. It has. Now figure it out, examine yourself, and repent of your feminism. It is wickedness. It is a lie of the devil. Do not be embarrassed also, boys and girls. Do not be embarrassed of your sexuality, your maleness and your femaleness. It was given to you by God. God made you this way. Don't ever be, ever be sad that you're a girl or you're a boy, right? God has given you that sex and he intends you to obey that and bear fruit that corresponds to it. Do not be embarrassed Parents, to raise your boys to be men and your girls to be women. In fact, God is expecting you to do that. Raise the boys to be boys and the girls to be girls. There should be different tasks for your boys and your girls. There should be a different approach, right? Do not be embarrassed to raise your boys to be men, your girls to be women, if you are defining things biblically, 
resist the androgynous, gender-neutral approach to life that our society shouts at us all the time. That is the preeminent example of replacing the creature, the creator for the creature. It's the preeminent example of idolatry in our culture. And yet we're so interested in it. We're so tempted by it. Isn't it interesting that if you throw off God, you end up worshiping yourself? The, the, the mere image of yourself, right? Men with men, women with women. That's what happens when you throw off God. But if you don't throw off God, then you say male and female, glorious, beautiful, right? The corresponding, the corresponding glory of man and woman is God's great design. And so male and female, it's a beautiful, intentional design by God. And don't forget it. Don't forget it, right? Obey God by obeying how he made you, male and female. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word that it, it shakes us out of the slumber that we get into by, by the effects of our culture upon us. Lord, feminism has made us sleep. Feminism has made us rebel. Feminism has made us hate what you have called very good. And so, Father, I pray that we would examine ourselves, that we would lay aside, and we would mortify, we would put to death the ways that feminism has defined us, defined our actions, defined our thoughts, defined the way we relate to men and women. Lord, help us in this task. There is so much warfare about this right now. I pray that our children would not be sucked into this maelstrom. And if they have been sucked into it, I pray that you would give them repentance. And that they would return to confessing the faith that they read of in your creation account. Lord, I pray that our, our boys would, would be strong men, that they would love to protect and cultivate those under their care. Father, I pray for our women that they would rejoice that you have made them mothers, mothers in Israel, those who are compassionate and care and help. I pray that they would, they would not be uh, denounced, but they would shake off all the denunciation that they receive from our, from our culture. We, we honor you. We love you, Father. Help us to live as you have made us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.